Hi, everyone. Yo Miss here. This episode is dropping just a few days before Thanksgiving. Ms. Fee, Scotty, and myself wanted to let you know that we are so thankful for all of you. Also, we will be taking a short break. Our next episode will drop on Monday, December 12th. Have a great Thanksgiving, and don't forget to shut down your school email notifications. See ya! Will This Be On The Test Teacher Pod is a podcast by, for, and about teachers. It's not a place where we discuss rigor or teaching methods or sell lesson plans. It's simply a safe space for teachers to share their stories, frustrations, and triumphs. And for our listeners to realize, episode after episode, that they're not alone. Will This Be On The Test Teacher Pod is sometimes funny, sometimes disturbing, but always honest. Welcome to Will This Be on the Test Teacher Pod? Two teachers explore the realities of education. This week, we will be talking to Becky Olson and Christy Mayo from the Support Forest Hills Public Schools Parent Group. I'm Yo Miss. And I'm Miss V. How's everyone this week? Very, very good. Very, very good. Today is the first day in almost a week that I actually sat down and watched the news and with a smile on my face, <laughs> you know, because I've lately been like, well, you know, I don't want to hear it. Red wave, red tsunami. And I'm one who really tries not to avoid the news. Like I try to suck it up because I feel this obligation to know. But last week I was like, is there something on Bravo? Can I watch Catfish instead? Oh, look, it's, <laughs> an, it's an episode of Law and Order SVU. Much better than the news. I'll watch that, you know. But this morning I I sat there with my breakfast and I had MSNBC <laughs> on and I was just like, this is so much fun. <laughs> so yeah. So that's yeah, what's happening. It was an exciting week, I think in Michigan especially, because we are not known for blue waves in the past decade. But um, Michigan is a good example of what can happen when you fix gerrymandering. Because we had, um, after the 2016 election, a woman started a group called Voters Not Politicians. And they, through literally volunteer grassroots movement, got the a uh, proposition on the ballot to vote for a committee to redistrict the state, basically. And mm-hmm. this was our first election since the new districts have been at play. And as a result, the first time the Democrats have taken control of Congress since 1983. So quite literally, we all said it's impossible for Democrats to win. And then we redistrict the state and then they won. And, yeah. you know, not overwhelmingly to suggest that it's gone too far the other way. So yeah, that's, that's, I think, extra exciting because that voters, not politicians movement was such a big thing in Michigan for so many years. So it was very exciting. And leading up to the election, we were in the news and the butt of a lot of jokes because of Tudor Dixon. And so it's so nice to see Michigan in the news this week for positive things. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you, I I have to admit that before we met, I never really paid attention to Michigan politics at all. But after talking about Tudor Dixon on our podcast, I was just like, okay, she cannot win. And everybody's like, who are you talking about? Like, what is this? Well, I phone bank for Democrats and I, I specifically phone bank 
in Georgia, even though I live in New Jersey, mostly because the people in Georgia are so nice. Generally, they're just, you know, like I'll say, oh, I'm uh, I'm your miss calling from the, you know, Democratic committee. How are you? And they're like, fine. And you, ma'am. And I'm like, oh, my God, somebody asked me how I am. That's amazing. Like in New Jersey, they feel like screw you and had like hang up on me. So I'm very excited because I get to do one more phone banking situation to say like, you don't really want to vote for Herschel Walker, do you? Like, what? So like a potato for real. Don't, don't do it, Georgia. No, he's a a potato that cannot be alone. He's a potato that has to have a a handler handler. with him at all times. Like my potatoes can be by themselves. So they're actually better. (laughs) That's true. That's true. We're not giving potatoes enough credit, really, is what's happening. Yeah, really. You are insulting the potato, okay? You know, stop. Well, while we're on this topic of differences between New Jersey and everywhere else, Mm -hmm. we have established on this podcast that you don't call those chocolate things turtles, which is strange. You use that weird phrase of leaf peeping, which... I did have some feedback from a listener who said, no, really, leaf peeping is wrong. (laughs) And I now have another question for you. Yes. Because my husband is building a house for a couple who've moved here from New Jersey. And Mm. the woman calls her husband, daddy. No. 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 I would like to know. No. I would like to know what you call Scotty. (laughs) Ew. No. uh, uh, Oh, no, surely no. And I, I, you know, the only time I have ever heard a couple do that was it was somebody with whom I worked and her husband came in to help her decorate her elementary school classroom prior to the, the year starting. And he was calling her mother. And I was like, are we in the he middle was of a- he, was <laughs> he was helping out with a classroom. That's what he does. And you know, at the time, I sort of attributed it to the fact that he is not native to the United States. He's from Ireland. And I thought, maybe this is an Irish thing. I don't know. But it still creeped me out. I was like, oh, my God, is Norman Bates here? Like, I was like flipping <laughs> out, you know. So I want to clarify. I want to make it super clear that I have never, ever, other than in conversation to like my children or my right. dog or the dog, yeah, the or dog. The dog say like daddy's going to take you out but in <laughs> terms of like speaking to each other no that is not a new jersey thing at all no i want to make no. that quite you're doing clear. important work here stereotype busting for new jersey i oh b- believe me i uh New Jersey has many stereotypes that are actually accurate. And that's, I am not a native New Jerseyan. So I, you know, like, for example, people from New Jersey really cannot drive. And I've known that my whole (laughs) life as a New Yorker, but it's, it is true. But no, the, the daddy thing. No, no. Ew. (laughs) How does he keep, how does he keep a straight face when they do that? Like, I feel like, stop it. There, he he's not pleasant. He's not a pleasant man in general. And then um, that that could be from New Jersey. That could be from New Jersey. And then the two of them will banter, and then she'll just say like, "Well, whatever Daddy wants," or they'll look at things and she'll say like, "What do you what I what do you think, Daddy?" Or like, "I'll talk to Daddy." And my husband's just like, "Do do they have children?" Probably not. I feel like he never builds houses for people with children. <laughs> no, That's even, that would I be even know, weirder. 
Is she like a lot younger than him? Like, is there something weird going on here? I don't think so. Are, I, are we sure they're a married couple? Could it possibly be a father? Maybe we situation? need to do like blink twice if you're safe, you know. Like <laughs> no, I think I think I don't know the age difference. I, I now realize I have to do a lot more research. I gotta come yeah. back. This you we're gonna have to dig into this in the after show for sure. Yes, the after show, absolutely discussing this because also we need to find out from your husband where in New Jersey they are from, which we're not gonna say on on air, but because that does make a, a big difference. There is a huge difference between people from South Jersey who are more Philadelphia oriented, North Jersey who are like the real housewives of New Jersey. And then those of us who are in a place that people say doesn't exist, which is Central Jersey. Like people are like, there's no such thing. And I'm like, I live in it. So, uh, so, but okay. Well, um, I know we can move on from this. Well, yes. <laughs> We have so many listeners that the odds that someone who recognizes who I'm talking about is very likely. So we should probably just move right. Along. That's true. That's true. Uh, Daddy, could you, Daddy, could you mute yourself over there, please? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as I mentioned in our intro about an hour ago, um, <laughs> We are fortunate enough to have as our guests today, uh, Becky Olson and Christine Mayo, who are from the Support Forest Hills Public Schools Parent Group. So welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you. Before we get started actually talking about your group, if, if you could just educate myself, clearly not a Michigander, and other people who are not from Michigan uh, about Forest Hills, like what... Just tell me a little bit about the area and just, you know, so I can get a clear picture. Absolutely. Well, we are on the west side of Michigan, so direct opposite side of the state of Detroit, and we are a suburb of Grand Rapids. So Grand Rapids being the second largest city in the state, and we are in the backyard of Betsy DeVos. So that is our hometown <laughs> um, and where we live, kind of the birthplace of the privatization movement of modern day. Mm -hmm. Mm, fun now I can see why you have this uh support Forest Hills Public Schools group I mean that (laughs) explains a lot okay all right so if you want to tell us how the group got started and if there was one particular thing that brought you into this or give us the background we have to take a deep breath before we begin and actually (laughs) we're very glad that we're having this conversation with you in November. And now that we've been able to see after a full year and a half of us doing this work, what the outcome was. So the timing is fantastic, but to rewind and peel back the layers of the onion around March of 2021, things were still virtual from a board meeting standpoint. And we started to get wind that something was not right when a local group of quote unquote concerned parents raised the agenda topic of trying to dismantle a opt-in program, a 100% opt-in program in our school district called the Global Learners Initiative. And the Global Learners Initiative was actually created over 10 years ago when in our very privileged and um, upscale community, there are people who wanted to help their children learn that there is a whole big wide world out there that's not just our little bubble. And mm-hmm. so that includes creating space for students who come from diverse backgrounds and maybe have a bit of culture shock in our area. It talks about 
LGBTQ topics. And there are parents who can opt in themselves to learn more about how to be more of an ally to students. And so even this opt-in program came under fire from parents who said, we don't need any of this in our school district. And so that really kicked off a steady flow of attacks. So now it has been almost going on two years now of these attacks. They just mounted from there onto a full um, election that we just went through for our school board. Interesting. I first heard about you guys, I guess it would have been earlier this spring, Somebody had shared on Facebook a graphic that you had made with information about, I think at that time it was CRT, and it was the same kind of like, you know, you're hearing this misinformation, here's the facts about what, and like I said, I think it was CRT, really is. And so then I was interested because I had an equity group when I was a teacher, but I've sort of struggled with like what to do now that I'm in the parent role. And so that's when I really started following you guys. Because I thought like, look, it's a parent group that's doing more than bake sales. <laughs> so exactly. what kinds of things have you done? You said in the year and a half, what kinds of things have you done besides, obviously I've seen your Facebook stuff. Yes. Well, before we get into support FHPS, we actually, the two of us, Christy and me, wear three different hats. And I think before we get into support FHPS and what did you do? How did you react? I'd love for Christy to share a little bit about how we tried to react on the community level before we dialed it back to the school level, just to begin to say, listen, we in Forest Hills cannot stand for people trying to dismantle opt-in programs. Mm -hmm. Christy actually is the president of another group in town called Forest Hills for Social Change. And she can tell you a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. So that started probably around the same time, but there was actually a news story about our school district because a young family of color had experienced racism and prejudice in our school district, that their young children were victims of it. And so kind of that started as an online discussion and then kind of evolved into this group that we now have that's called Forest Hills for Social Change. We are small but mighty, but our efforts are focused on just kind of changing the attitude and the environment of our community and making it a more welcoming place, you know, for people of all backgrounds, all races, all nationalities, LGBTQ, all of those. And so from with us forming that group, then the, I will say the main player of the, the group that was opposing our, our school district formed a group called Forest Hills for Just Education. We got wind of the fact that the parent in charge of the Forest Hills for Just Education group was undertaking an effort to recall five of our seven board members. All of the board members that could possibly be recalled, two could not be legally because they were in their first year. And so from there, another Forest Hills for Social Change board member and I were just like, well, this can't, like we have to spread the word. And then from there, it, it literally was just like starting a Facebook group and it just like blew up because mm-hmm. we wanted to make sure that people know, people knew that this effort was going on. We were afraid that she was going to try to fly under the radar and collect signatures to recall our board members. And so it was literally like a couple of Facebook posts in neighborhood groups and creating a private group to support our schools. And it just exploded. Mm -hmm. And that's 
kind of how um, Becky and I actually live like less than a, a quarter of a mile from each other, but had never met. And so through this, we connected. Um, and then we have two other board members and a, a group of amazing volunteers that have done a ton of work with us. And it's just, and that's what's kind of developed into support FHPS. So I'll let Becky oh. kind of yeah. So that it, that's the the snowball of how this all started. And it's very interesting because around the time that this started to explode or unravel, you may have heard of South Lake, Texas. And yes. that is really where a lot of this school board activity kicked off. So what's really fascinating is that South Lake, Texas or Virginia, Loudoun County, Virginia, they have been a good six to eight plus months ahead of us here in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So we, the minute we started to sense that something was amiss in this recall, I mean, who tries to recall five of seven school board yeah, members, right? Wild. So we named ourselves as support of HPS and filed at the state level as a political action committee, because we saw that this was going to, we were, we kind of saw the writing on the wall, that this was not just going to be isolated to Forest Hills. So we wanted to um, be at the ready to be able to talk about state and local issues. Well, that was a question I had, and you kind of just answered it, but is there, what does, what are you, I guess, allowed to do by filing as a PAC, as opposed to, I don't know what the other one would be, a 503 maybe? Exactly. And I, I always, I'm smiling because when I think back to a year and a half ago, a year ago, knowing nothing. All I know is, is that mm -hmm. I raised my hand in a Facebook group and now I can tell you all of these things and we're just moms, right? We are moms who love our school. We know way more yes. than we ever wanted to know. So we are a political action committee because all of our filings, all of our fundraising is fully transparent. Anybody from around the country can look up the support of HPS political action committee on the secretary of state with the state of Michigan and see any of our expenses, any of our incoming money. And we did that because there is a lot of dark money in this anti-publication public education narrative. And mm -hmm. You know, if you're a 501c4, you can't, you don't have to necessarily report where all of that money came from, and you can still candidate or campaign for candidates. And so we did that because at the same time, we started to see a lot of synergies between the attacks on our school. And if it wasn't about the GLI program, it was about social emotional learning and it was about CRT and it was about books and it was about why aren't why isn't there more quote-unquote transparency mm -hmm. and those were all a lot of the same talking points we started to see with the latest in Michigan voucher-like petition called let my kids learn so mm -hmm. not surprisingly a lot of the people attacking our school district and schools in Michigan and you probably saw that saw that with the election, Tudor Dixon was a very, very eager candidate to support the DeVos Let My Kids Learn program. Mm -hmm. So that said, we wanted to be able to talk about that and the detriment it would have on our district if it passed, in addition to just dialing deeper into the school board itself. It's really interesting because it, there's like a, almost like a playbook that is just playing out throughout the United States. Exactly. We had a guest on here about a month ago similar organization in New Jersey for the protection of, of public education. And I, they're not APAC, but talking about dark money, talking about the different things that 
are happening with these groups that are trying to, you know, dismantle public education. And it's just, you just hear the same story over and over. We had the union president from Douglas County, Colorado on here. Same thing. It's just over and over. And it's great that people are fighting it, but it's also so disturbing. Well, we can tell you there is a playbook. I mean, there are there are multiple PDF playbooks that we have found on the internet that are telling them how to do this. Yes. And if you follow or find Christopher Rufo, R-U-F-O, on Twitter, what's left of it, you can literally, he's the one who coined CRT quite literally and like created the strategy. And he will tweet pretty transparent, like we've already you know, made them afraid of this now. And he has very explicitly said, we are now going to do the same thing with trans rights that we did with CRT because it worked so successfully. And I think they might address that in the South Lake podcast too, if anyone hasn't listened to that, any of our Mm -hmm. listeners, that's that if you listen to that and how it plays out, then almost anywhere you can watch the exact same steps. The only that bad side for them was it hit Fox News. So then they got much more attention. If you can keep it out of the national <laughs> media, you know, then the big we, wackos don't show uh, up. <laughs> we when I listened to that and I listened to that fairly early on, I think we were still in the recall days. So like last fall, and I and I literally said you could just put for, Forest Hills in for South Lake and it felt exactly the same. Yeah. Oh that's scary. Well, so I guess around this time last year, so it was October 2021, we filed as a political action committee and we were born as a defense organization. And by that, I mean, the papers had been filed to start collecting signatures on the five of seven school board members. And we tried to rally as much support as we could about the schools, about the board of education, about the integrity of this elected position, that things like recalls should be saved for malfeasance and actually disobeying the code of ethics, not because Mm -hmm. you don't agree and certainly not because you're trying to take back America from the school boards on up, which is not only what Christopher Rufo wanted, but even Steve Bannon is quoted as saying such a thing. And they were given this directive. So from the get-go, from having listened to the South Lake podcast, from seeing what happened in Virginia as well with Governor Youngkin, we saw exactly where this was going. And we first started out by selling yard signs that actually said, we love our board of education, or we respect our board of education. And also we love public schools. So we charged about $20, $25 for those. And we were able to raise several thousand dollars right out of the gate of people who wanted to demonstrate their pride in Forest Hills Public Schools, their respect for the elected board of education role, car stickers. And so that's really how we got started is saying, hold up Forest Hills. This is not right. This is not appropriate. This is starting to follow what we're seeing around the country. And that's how we were able to get people started. Um, And our Facebook group grew pretty quickly to over a thousand people who wanted to do whatever they could to help. I noticed, at least on your Facebook, there's not a lot of pushback. Like, I don't see people coming on there to, like, attack you. But certainly those attacks must be happening somewhere. They are. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, for over a year, and we don't need to get into every single detail, but what Support FHPS is about is fighting for the support, safety, and success of all students. And 
through this entire past year that included being on the defense, shifting to offense, identifying and endorsing a slate of candidates to run for school board, and now having the outcome of our school board election set, we have tried to stick to facts. It is very easy to get emotional, to name call, to let an argument unravel on Nextdoor, on Facebook, wherever that may be. But if you hold to the facts, I know you're saying this concerned parent, but show me where you are seeing this information that is not from Twitter, that is not from Christopher Rufo, who's trying to dismantle our schools, even from another candidate running for office who is telling us they are trying to dismantle public education. Show me some legitimate data from a trusted source, and then we can have this conversation. And that's the role that Support FHPS tried to play. Mm -hmm. And so we tried, well, let me, I, I do think it's important to share this. So in the state of Michigan, According to Ballotpedia, the state of Michigan was the highest in terms of this board recall strategy that happened between 2021 and 2022. More school board election hmm. or school board recalls were attempted in our state than anywhere else in the country, but also in the country, there were more of these recalls attempted because they were told to do this, this approach. Yeah. And the most tend to happen in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Virginia, in states where there was a pivotal midterm election tied to governor, of course. So I'm curious, did the recall happen or did they, because the slate you, I guess, explain that. <laughs> sure. So what happened was the deadline to collect these signatures for recalling the school board members expired. One of the batches expired December 31st, 2021, and the other one expired in March. And so had over 6,500 signatures per candidate been collected, it would have advanced to a special election that would have occurred in May, 2022. Now the kicker is that because there were no other things on the ballot for that time, our school district would have been on the hook for $100,000 to fund that election. Thankfully, from the get-go, they did not collect enough signatures. And I don't even know if they truly thought that they would or if this was just going to be an entry to get this conversation started about CRT. But, but the way that they tried to collect the signatures was actually talking about CRT at people's doorsteps and saying that all these things were happening inside the schools. But something that in the core of my heart and soul held on to hope from the get-go was that we have the kids in the schools. We see that this is not happening. And most people don't move out of Forest Hills even after their kids graduate. And they could all kind of scratch their head and say, I hear what you're saying. It sounds an awful like a lot what I'm hearing on the cable TV news station, but I'm just not seeing this. And so fast forward to now, they did not, they did not have to do the special election. They did not advance to recall, but right around the end of summer of this year, they did put four people on a slate of their own for Forest Hills for just education. So then needless to say, we needed to surface who are the best candidates here. And we ended up endorsing three and that was extremely tough. And I can shed more light on that, but that all to say it kind of became a battle of the slates here in town. We mm -hmm. had 13 people running for four seats on our seven seat school board. Oh, wow. I wow. knew you had a lot because I'm 
my kids go to Plainwell and we had 10 running for four, but you even beat us. <laughs> yes, it was, it was a circus. <laughs> so yeah. what ultimately happened? Did anybody from their slate get elected? Did anyone from your slate get elected? Like what was the final result there? Interestingly, what happened in Forest Hills is a headline making trend that happened across the state of Michigan. And it was that no one side really succeeded here. Um, what happened for us is that we, we ended up having three political action committees at work here in Forest Hills. There was our group of current families within the school district, those who've moved here, the Forest Hills for Just Education group. And then we had a late breaking political action committee of former school board members and more of the retired citizens come forth and say, we got to hold on to these seats that are from our legacy school board members. Two of the names that were on the ballot were those who've been on the board for 16, 20 years. And so that group of candidates came forward. So what ended up happening is that we all won. And let me, let me explain. So <laughs> one of the people straddled both packs for the legacy folks and us, he was appointed to the board back in um, early this year after someone stepped down. And so we loved him. They like, they love him. He's an alumni of the school district and has four kids going through it now. Fantastic choice. Got a lot of stamps of approval around town. There's a CPA who won and one of our outgoing board members was a finance expert. So she filled those shoes. And then the 20 year veteran of the school board, who's very beloved, also won re-election. And then one of the Moms for Liberty endorsed candidates was elected. So I, I mean, yeah, it's really interesting because not, and you know, there was a lot of upset at first people saying, oh, if we didn't have so many candidates and why didn't people step, step down. But at the end of the day, if all the moms for Liberty candidates had won, we'd be very upset. If all of our candidates won, they'd probably be very upset. If all the mm -hmm. legacy folks won, you know, so yeah. we all got a slice of the pie and we've tried to just make peace with this, that this is a community. This is the representation of the community, clearly. This is a public school district. And yes, there's going to be some varying opinions, but as a party of one from of, of Moms for Liberty on a on a seven-seat board, the good news is that you know their plans to fire our superintendent and all sorts of things that they wanted to do. At least we have a little bit more time. Before. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. how it became in my district. And we were, I was literally counting, adding, I had like the calculator on my phone, like counting as we would pull county, well, pull townships and adding them up. And of our four that we wanted, three were pretty good. They're incumbents. And so they were, they were coming in well. And then there was this back and forth between one that I liked and one from the slate of four. And that's kind of what I told myself was if we end up with one out of seven, who is that voice? That is in my opinion, how much of the community they maybe represent, like one seventh, exactly. whatever that percent is. By exactly. That's fair representation is what I told myself. But, you know, what, what I worried was one or two of them, while they maybe can't make a ton of change, they can really tie things up with, you know, they can ask all their questions and raise all their conspiracy theories. I worried two would do that because they'd have each other, but I thought, well, maybe one. But mm -hmm. thankfully, our four that our local union that the teachers endorse and did win. 
but it was the diciest school board election. <laughs> I've yes. never had such an anxious election night, I think, ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask a couple of questions, just, you know, just go backtracking a little bit, like you had talked about, you know, that you'd raised money and from science or what other things did you, did your organization do in order to involve the community? And, you know, were you doing letter writing? Were you going door to door? We did it all. Okay. (laughs) Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we had a to-do list that was our wish. It was our campaigning wish list. Some of the things that we did are postcard writing. We sent postcards, just really simple. You need to know that you cannot leave this board of education section of the ballot blank. We looked at the numbers from the past two school board elections in our district specifically, and we saw that 50% of voters who turned out, whether that was by absentee or in person, did not populate that section. So we knew that we didn't really have a turnout problem. We had a turn up for the teachers problem. And so that message was one that we hit home very hard. We just needed to drive turnout, especially to get people to sift through the sands of the 13 candidates. So we started to raise the uh, topic around June or July that you need to vote in the school board section of the ballot and through those postcards. Then we really tried to operate in a League of Women Voters fashion where we wanted to be a trusted source of information. So there's only so much that a school district can do, not only resource wise, but they're not going to take sides. Mm -hmm. And so they do send out a newsletter around October that has some nice survey questions about the candidates. We couldn't wait till October. So we took (laughs) matters into our own hands and we issued a candidate survey to all 13 candidates. And it was the same questions for everybody. The questions were even posted on our website because we believed in full transparency. So believe it or not, I would say nine or 10 of the 13 candidates responded to that survey and the the four who didn't not surprisingly I'm sure you won't know who you can guess who didn't respond to it but the feedback that they got on such a negative level I mean we're we're not the teachers union we are not the league of women voters we are support of HPS and the community response in Facebook groups and next door of the people who did not respond they were offended and appalled So we, I think we felt at that point, like we had made it, like we are so respected (laughs) as these moms that people are truly turning to us for advice and information on what to do. So then we took it a step further. We actually hosted with some of our fundraised money, a candidate forum. So we tried to make it as approachable and objective as possible. We rented out a community park venue that had in, in an inside space. We hired a professor from, well, she, she was, she volunteered. <laughs> she volunteered <laughs> from a local college teaching political science to be our moderator. We sent out all of the questions ahead of time to all of the candidates. We ended up having to hire security because our school board meetings have gotten a little testy um, physically and through words. And so oh we gosh. had everything all lined up to go. We had a couple of news stations there, but the turnout was fantastic. Hundreds of people watched it online. We had a limited number of in-person tickets just to make sure that it went off without a hitch. And 12 out of the 13 came to that event. So I think you know, the, the reaction to the survey inspired some folks to come to the 
to the candidate forum. We also did billboards. We did um, a lot of direct mail pieces. We did a text. Door hangers. Yes, door hangers, 5,000 doors. We did Mm -hmm. uh, texting at the end. So we really crossed every single thing off our wish list. And then we also had not only our private Facebook group, but we had our public pages that have over a thousand followers. And then we have um, a direct email list. So we have a subscribe option on our website and we've been able to continually grow that. And actually to help grow it, we actually did some social media ads just for that as well. So now I'm curious, you've had almost one week to rest. (laughs) So what's next? Because it sounds like, because this is even how I felt in my local district is I spent a lot of time, especially like writing and talking about candidates in my district and then also having what I consider friendly conversations with them on their Facebook pages. And don't give me that look. They, I was always very polite. And, but now that the good guys won, I feel like, well, I can't just stop, but like, what do we, where do you go next? That's a fantastic question. And for us, we need to keep standing up for these marginalized students and even the educators. I think it's really important to note that we see very clearly that educators have been put in the crosshairs. There are quotes from this, this opposition group in town saying that they're going to keep an eye on the teacher's social media posts and what they say, and are they joining any of these local political groups and um, what books are in their classrooms. And we know that this is not going away. It's standing up for these books. It's standing up for students. It's not letting students be quote unquote neutralized or teachers for that matter. I think of course we are here for the kids. Of course we're here for our own kids, but my heart is shattered in many, many pieces when I think that a teacher mm-hmm. can't put a pronoun in their email signature or mm-hmm. is afraid to wear a pin or is afraid to join a Facebook group in town that's about being an ally to to kids because they're mm-hmm. going to get reprimanded for that. So this anti-public education teacher, anti-union message, we're not here for it. Like we are, mm-hmm. we are going to keep um, fighting the good fight when it comes to protecting our schools and protecting all kids. Cool. I was going to say, if you, when you're talking about the books and all that stuff, if you listen to our Previous episode that is out now, actually, we had our previous guest was part of something called Freedom Fighters, Freedom spelled F-R-E-A-D-O-M, and they are school librarians that are working to deal with book banning and stuff. So if you're interested in that side, they were a really cool organization. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) I think the most important thing to do is we cannot, yes, we're taking a breath now that the election is over. But that's where we have to continue because they're just going to come up with something else. If it's Mm -hmm. not litter boxes in the bathrooms, it's going to be something about, you know, if it's, I don't even want to say the words, right? Because they're so (laughs) triggering that they call teachers and whatnot. Um, It's going to continue. And what we have to continue doing is just holding up the mirror, holding up the facts, holding Mm -hmm. up the reality and continue having this conversation public education is clearly going to continue to need a voice and mm-hmm. for, for the next two year you know, election ahead, um, what can be done now to start to build that momentum so that hopefully 
people can start to win back some of those seats and also sure. start to, you know, go to the, go to the board meetings. If you start to see, I mean, a lot of these candidates that won on the moms for Liberty side, they don't even have children, let alone in the schools. Do they really want to be going to these meetings for the next six years? Are they going <laughs> to hold themselves to the code of ethics? It'll be interesting to, to see what happens. What Becky is saying is correct. You have to keep going. We cannot rest on our Oh, morals. I agree. I'm saying use this to motivate you to know you're not alone. Yeah. You I, know, and, don't be afraid. Don't think, well, there it's all the moms for liberty people. I think this election showed there are more of us. We just need to be louder. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Just keep doing the good work because Sadly, it's necessary, but it is necessary. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome. All right. But we're not done with you, as we say every <laughs> every podcast. We are about to get into our pop quiz section where we will ask each, um, each of us will ask a question and we all get to answer it. So I guess I'll start this time. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So my question is, you know, as we all know, Thanksgiving is on the horizon, I, you know, thinking about what we're doing, what you're doing. So I'm wondering, is there anything that you can look at and say is that you think is possibly unique to your, and it doesn't have to be Thanksgiving, to any of your holiday celebrations? Something that's not part of the standard, you know, turkey, cranberry sauce. It could be a food, an activity, whatever. Scotty's looking at me like I'm crazy. I, there are so I many know. things. We have so many answers. And well, you just the, one, the one I'm thinking of, obviously, is, is the Jewish Christmas, which yes. um, <laughs> which, which involves Chinese food and going to the movies. Yes. That's so what that's we what do we do on Christmas. Christmas. We, we get that's Chinese true. food because it's the only restaurant that's open. And yeah. we go to the movies because that's a good time to go see movies. Yes. Well, my family has started kind of a new Thanksgiving. I guess this is our second year of doing it. So I guess we can call it a tradition now. But so last, and it came out of sort of a sad reason, but I'm an only child. So my Thanksgivings are pretty much just my immediate family and then my parents. So it's small and easy to change. And last year was, so I left teaching last December. So last year at this time, things were real dark for me and I was pretty miserable. And so I had told my parents, I don't even want to do Thanksgiving. We're just going to go up North. We're going to get a cabin. I don't want to be anywhere around this district, these people. I was a real delight, but we ended up going to Boyne Mountain, which is a ski resort. And it was, we got like a great deal on an Airbnb because it's too early to ski. There wasn't snow. They had just started making snow actually. And it turned out they had a Thanksgiving buffet. The kids spent the day at an indoor water park and it was great. We had no dishes. We had no cooking. The only downside is we had no leftovers for turkey sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And then my dad like loved it. And like, this whole summer and into fall, he kept saying like, we had to look for some place to go this year. And I was like, well, this year I feel better. I feel like I could host Thanksgiving at my house. And he just like kept. And so this year they found Crystal Mountain, another ski resort up North also does a Thanksgiving. <laughs> so go. we're doing it again. So we're heading up there and doing whatever and eating a Thanksgiving buffet instead of cooking. That sounds good. Okay. Christy, Becky, what do you got? Yeah, I grew up with, I can't say that it happens 
much anymore now that my sister and I each have our own families. But every single Christmas Eve, my mom would make homemade clam chowder. Wow. And I, so, Interesting. And I, I can't even tell you how that started. But for as literally as long as I can remember, every Christmas Eve, she would make homemade clam chowder. And, and we would go to, I was raised Catholic, so we would go to Christmas Eve service. I have to ask, was, is that Manhattan clam chowder or New England clam chowder? You have to tell me the difference. <laughs> no, cream or tomato based? Cream, very creamy. New England. Yeah. New England. <laughs> That's my favorite. They approve. <laughs> no, I approve. He's a Manhattan clam chowder kind of guy. <laughs> I like tomato based. Yeah. Mm. Becky, how about you? Well, Scotty stole mine and I am also from a family, even though we are not Jewish, we still do that, that celebration on <laughs> Christmas. And I think it started because the word passed down was that they didn't want the women to have to cook on Christmas Eve. And so who knows if that's true or not, but it's always about the egg too young and on Christmas awesome. Eve and we open all the gifts on Christmas Eve and then Christmas day is just kind of anti-climatic at that point. Yeah, we did same. everything the night prior, but still very excited. Now I am curious if we have a new tradition starting. My brother proposed to his now wife last Christmas Eve and she plays guitar and he told her the ploy was that uh, he told her we have a ritual every Christmas Eve where we have a concert and everyone's responsible for playing an instrument or like bringing a song to the concert and so she did and then he took the guitar and ended up playing like the here comes the bride song and then oh. that was like his proposal so anyway now she said well I hope that we can actually now have this Christmas <laughs> concert and you're all like nah nah, nah. nah, nah I'm not doing that that's funny <laughs> Well, in addition to doing our, our Jewish Christmas thing, one of our family traditions is on April Fool's Day every year, we eat dinner for breakfast and breakfast for dinner. So uh -huh. when the kids were little, it was like a really easy thing because they would have like chicken nuggets for breakfast. And then we would have, <laughs> you know, who doesn't love like, you know, French toast or waffles for dinner. Mm -hmm. But then as they got older, we, you know, and they started eating real food, I'd actually go out there on uh, April Fool's Day morning at like five in the morning and like grill steaks and stuff. Cause I figured <laughs> that was like an April fool's on my neighbors too, because right. they were like, I think I smell steak. That's ridiculous. You know? <laughs> so, and what's interesting too, is now my kids are adults and, you know, live out of the house. And I don't know how, I know they still do the breakfast for dinner thing. My daughter will do dinner for breakfast if she can. She's a vegetarian. So she'll just be like, yeah, I had a tomato, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but, um, so we do that. And what's funny too, is back when my daughter was in middle school and they were doing a poetry unit in her English class, she wrote a poem or something about this. And her teacher actually contacted me and said, is this true? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And the teacher entered it into some, it was like in some literary magazine and stuff. Cause she oh, thought it was like funny. really cool. Yeah. So that is our, our crazy our crazy holiday. So. Well, I'm going to take that and I'll let you know how it goes, but that's so yeah. sweet. And I feel like my kids would love that. So thank you for the idea. Oh, <laughs> please take it away. The kids loved it. You know, they, when they were, it was, it was fun. You know, there's a steak sitting there when you wake up in the morning, it was kind of fun. <laughs> steak and fries. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Speak, go for it. Well, my question is related to the giant Powerball That was last week. What was it? Was it 1.8 billion? Billion. 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 With that's the B. 
I did. When win. I typed it, I was like, million, billion. Yeah, billion. Um, so I am curious then if you won the lotto, the eight, 1.8 or any lotto, what is one thing you would do? At first I was going to say, what's the first thing? But I th- feel like we would all just probably pay off our houses first. So <laughs> what's one thing you would do that you think might be notable or fun? Or maybe it's pay off your house. Well, I will be honest and tell you that my husband and I put the ticket on a refrigerator and I asked him that same question. And then we both came to the realization that we didn't need to be greedy. We wrote down all of how much we owed on this car, that car and the house itself. <laughs> and I wrote it on a piece of paper, the number of our debt. <laughs> and we I did a little, some little words with that paper and burned it. And um, sadly, we still have that debt, but <laughs> we didn't even try to take the 1.9 billion. We just wanted to break even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's what I got. We got into a conversation over dinner and we were telling the kids and explaining to the nine-year-old, like how it works, how the lotto works. And then we had such an in-depth conversation about all the things that you could do. And the kids were saying like, oh, I want a trampoline and all this and stuff. And (laughs) then they had this like letdown. It was like such a fun conversation. And then the nine-year-old, I think, sort of left the table like, well, we're not getting any of that. I was like, oh, that's... (laughs) That is what happens when you fantasize about winning the lotto. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like so corny and I really am not trying to like get any sort of bonus points. I really think it would be so fun to give it away. I just think like there are not many people or places who some money wouldn't like brighten their day mm-hmm. or change their life. And I think I, I'm sure I would do fun stuff for me, but just think of like how fun it would be if like every time you went to Starbucks, you could just like give the teenager a hundred dollar tip or, you know, like, I don't know. I think, I think that would be so fun. I would probably need someone to manage me. So I didn't just give too much of it away, but my nine-year-old wants a trampoline. So first right. thing. Trampoline. You could afford that. Yeah. You can do yeah. that from the, the riches that we get from this podcast. You could get yeah, yeah. a trampoline. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Christy, you know, how- you go ahead, you'll miss, because I know what you're going to say. And I was, I would say it, but I know what you're going to say. The very first thing I would do would be to pay off my stu- my children's yep. student loans. That's what I was going to say. Absolutely, 100%. Yep. Yep. Without question, if I could do it without winning the lottery, I would. My, I mean, they both have substantial debt. They both work in the public sector at this point, And they absolutely, in, in a heartbeat. That's what I would yep. do. That's After that, I win. I'll pay off their student debt since that thanks. would count as giving that, it away. Thanks, <laughs> thanks. Write a big check. It's a big check. One of them went to law school. It's a big. I'll have my advisors get in touch with you. Yeah, <laughs> to me. But the uh, yes, that is absolutely what what I would do. And then everything else, I'm probably you know I would start a like a foundation. Like I would like to be like. <laughs> What's her name? Mackenzie, Miss Mackenzie Scott. Is that her name? Uh, Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos's first wife. Oh, yeah. Start a foundation and then start giving. What, stuff away. what I, would your foundation be? What do you mean? It would be the Yo Miss Foundation. And who are you giving money away to? Oh, I would that? have to. Everybody would would have to apply for grants and stuff like I'd have oh, to you'd just be like oh, a general. Just general. Yeah, because there was, it's very hard to decide. I mean, there were so many different causes out there. I mean, if I had to, you know, pick right now, I would give money to to uh, the ACLU for sure, Planned Parenthood. Um, you get you'd get even more mail. 
I know. <laughs> <laughs> I would get an assistant to open my mail. Um, <laughs> Your junk mail. Yeah. Christy, I to- what about you? Oh my gosh, you guys are all like, all your answers are so like generous and altruistic. I was like, I would buy a lake house. Yeah, yeah. that too. Oh well, yeah. But <laughs> what I was going to say was, you know, after doing all the, the paying off the house and paying off my kids' debts and uh, it, for fun, I would, I would, I would buy a, a Porsche. Yeah, my husband would too. <laughs> I'd buy a Porsche and then I'd buy an island somewhere. Actually, you know what? You know what I would buy. Also, I have to say this because I've always wanted to do it. I just can never afford it. I would buy Scotty a sailboat. Oh, very cool. Scotty is a sailor without a sailboat. We should yeah. start a GoFundMe. <laughs> a sailboat. We'll get you a little. We'll get you a little sunfish. But um, but yeah, he's he's a uh, he's a skipper. So that's, ah, that. Yes, that's why when, when we when, talk when, about. When when I have grandkids, uh, I'm I'm gonna have them call me Captain. That's yeah, <laughs> cute. Yeah, that's 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 why we have no grandkids because they're like no. <laughs> well, it's uh, better than Daddy. So oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I've been waiting an hour to bring it up. I knew it had to come full circle. It did. <laughs> It's it. All right. Well, again, Becky and Christy, thank you so much for coming on and, and doing everything that you're doing. We would like to thank Max Siskind of Max and Max in the Morning for our intro. And thanks to Elaine Eckert for our artwork. Thanks to you, Daddy, for making us sound fabulous. <laughs> you can call him Daddy as long as I don't call him Daddy. Who's your Daddy? And, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you like what we're doing here, God help you. There are two ways you can help. First, spread the word about our show. Tell your friends, enemies, and even your frenemies. Share us on social media with your teacher and non-teacher friends alike. Second, please leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear from you. We do not want to hear about this daddy thing, though, please. Um, you can find us all over social media. Our contact information is in the episode notes. And thank you all for listening. And remember, you're supposed to come up with a cute thing at the end of the podcast. And today I forgot. <laughs> uh, like looking at last week's on here. No. Going, What's she going to do? And remember, report cards will be going home the day before Thanksgiving, so expect to come back to many emails and voicemails from parents. See ya, everybody. See ya. (laughs) 